Welcome to 10 Plus Podcast under the umbrella brand of 10 Plus Brand. I'm delighted to have Sean Flynn on my podcast today. Sean recently has scored 110 episodes of his own podcast series, the Silicon Valley Podcast. He has interviewed more than 80 people so far, and there is no sign of slowing down. Among those Sean interviewed are Jim McKelvey, co-founder of Square, Melanie Perkins, co-founder of Canva, Patrick Lee, founder of Rotten Tomatoes, on topics from building a unicorn company, raising fund trends in technology, scaling a company, leadership, skills for the future, and much more. Being a podcast producer and host myself for my own series, interviews of notables and influencers, I know how much work it takes to find the people to be interviewed, research, prepare, produce, and edit. On top of that, Sean has a full-time job in middle market investment banking, emergency acquisitions, capital markets, financial restructuring. Like Sean, I also have a full-time job as the CEO and the branding expert at 10 Plus Brand, a full-service award-winning brand building content creation, and digital marketing agency. For my own 10 plus podcast, I invite both well-known notables and influencers, billionaires, as well as ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Next month, I will feature someone who has volunteered years of service to help troubled teenage boys at a special summer camp. Okay, so now questions for Sean. Question number one. Could you give us a brief history about yourself? What is your journey leading up to where you are today? Good question. I'm not sure how much detail you want me to go into. I can just go high level. And if you want me to go deeper on anything, please let me know. Okay. Grew up in the Bay Area here. Uh, always heard about Silicon Valley. When I was in college, I wanted to travel. I went to college at UCSD to study mechanical engineering. Wanted to travel. I was in Costa Rica for a couple of years and then China for almost five years. Came back to Silicon Valley, got very involved in the startup ecosystem. I was the investment director for one of the oldest angel groups in Silicon Valley. From there, I worked with an incubator focused on artificial intelligence and blockchain uh, that had a global presence. And currently, I'm an investment banker focus on mergers, acquisition, growth capital, and secondaries here on the Silicon Valley team. And as mentioned, or as you mentioned, I have a podcast on the side called the Silicon Valley Podcast, which is, you know, as you know, from doing a podcast, it's a beauty and a beast at the same time. It's, it's a love-hate thing. A um, lot, a lot of work, but a lot of great things come from it. So that that's kind of my history, but I can go deeper into anything. Yeah, I'm interested in about the love-hate relationship. Okay, so first of all, do you hire any help for your podcast production or are you doing it all by yourself? For the life of the podcast so far, at different stages, I've had different help. When I first launched the podcast, I was actually on a podcast network and they provided a lot of great services for it. Then after episode, I think it was 32, I branched off, rebranded, and then did the Silicon Valley podcast. Since having that podcast at first, 100% of it was myself. That was challenging. That was, I couldn't handle it. So I started reaching out for help. 
I had a virtual assistant for some time. Uh, that virtual assistant, well, first, actually, first, I found a bunch of people on Fiverr to do the edit in show notes and that they weren't consistent enough for me. And then I tried a few people in the Philippines. I got one person, worked with him for a while, and now I'm on my second person that I'm working with. So I'm actually, I have two people in the Philippines I work with on the podcast. They each have their specific jobs. These aren't full-time roles. These both of them, you know, it, it's a few hours here and there. One does the audio edit in, the other does the edit in for videos and creates the social media posts. And then my wife has actually started helping me a little bit as well, doing the recordings, posting online and that. So it's, it's not an uh, official team. It's not a company, but I have a lot of help. I have quite a bit of help. So now I'm able to focus more of my time on just creating content in the interviews, the question sets, the guests, all that stuff, which is still a lot of time that people don't understand. When you want to create high quality content, it's not just you hit record and that's it. There's a lot of hours that go into it before and after that the majority of people, unless you've done it, don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> so when we we're we're that very small that 0.001% of podcasters and content creators that honestly really care about the content we create, the content for our audience, for our listeners, for our guests to make sure that their time's used wisely and and that so it is a it's a time consuming, it's a struggle, but it's worth it I would say. Yeah, yeah, I you know, otherwise you wouldn't have done 110 episodes so far already. Okay. So what got you into podcasting in the first place? So I had a TV show called this called Silicon Valley successes. It was brought about by in my past job, I was making a lot of introductions with overseas companies to service providers here in Silicon Valley, whether it was lawyers, accountants, um, you know, R&D tax credit, you, you name the service provider, I was making connections, because people kept having, you know, questions, how do I do this? How do I do that? So I'd make the intros. Well, I started thinking, wouldn't it be better for me just to record interviews with these service providers, have these startups reference them, and then if they needed to have more questions answered to set up the meeting. So it was more a better use of everyone's time. And I was part of Leadership Mountain View that year. Leadership Mountain View is a group in Mountain View. There's, I think, 32 different businesses represented at that time where basically everyone came together once a month and more or less discussed how can we help the community? How can we, you know, we're here in Mountain View. How can we grow and how can we help everyone? And I discovered that they had a public access TV station, KMBT 15. Thought that'd be the greatest avenue to do these recordings i did got the certifications the director the producer uh certs and then started filming i did a total of 46 episodes and it was great but video recording is more difficult than podcasts in the sense that you'd have your you know monthly time slots i had one every other week i had to get a crew of seven people to help out 
I had to get the guests whose availability was at that time. Same with the question set, same with the research, everything. And it was very time consuming, but once again, very rewarding. I did a total of 46 episodes. It was in 28 cities across the U.S., all in public access, including LA 36, which is the largest public access station uh, in the country. And when I was there, that's when I got connected to the one podcast platform, which I had mentioned earlier that I originally was on that I started this podcast. They were looking to do something with Silicon Valley because that's where a lot of their sponsors were from, a lot of their audience. I had this TV show, Silicon Valley Successes. They listened to the content, liked it. We had a great conversation. We actually met up in Vegas. And from that day on, or actually about a few weeks later, we signed an agreement. I created a podcast for their platform called Silicon Valley Podcast. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the birth of you know the Silicon Valley podcast that I've had. It was just creating content in one medium, tr- transferring it to another. And then when COVID happened, the studio shut down. So we had just done 46 episodes. I was doing both simultaneously, but the studio shut down because of it. I don't know if they've even reopened now. It's been you know a year and a half that they've been closed. So I wouldn't have been able to use it the whole time, but I've been able to continue the podcast uh, I took a brief break because of the pandemic because I like to do everything in person, mm-hmm. but I've been able to do the podcast for most of the pandemic. And uh, now I, I've picked it up again and having you know, a great time, but that was the birth of the pod- podcast. Yeah, I remember you used to have it on location, like in the hotels, uh, uh, in studios. Um, so you do produce both the video version and the podcast version at the same time, or do you just do the audio? For the beginning of the podcast, when I did probably the first, what was it, 80 episodes or so, I only did audio. Then about 10 or so episodes ago, I got some cameras. It was, well, for the 100th episode. My wife and I we were talking about it, whether it was, okay, let's either take this more seriously or stop it because it is time consuming. It's a, mm-hmm. you use a lot of resources doing this. And I thought about it. And I went, you know, I want to do it a little bit more seriously. And so I got a couple cameras and since the hundredth episode, they've all been, all been recorded. Uh, the video quality, I will admit just like audio quality, it takes time to learn how to edit how to adjust things, how to get top quality from an interview for the audio. It's the same with the video. So if you look at, you know, video, the first few that I did, which we're just now posting live now, they're okay. But I'm really excited about, you know, the months to come. The now that I actually know what lighting is, now that I actually know how to match the cameras up, which white, what white balance is, what, you know, there's so many things I had no idea about when I first started doing video that now I know and I'm excited. So, yeah, audio and video moving forward for everything. And, and you, you're able to repurpose the content so much more. This little snippet here on this platform, this little video cut here on that platform. You just have so much more reach when you add the video component. Right. So my is the opposite because I started with video and uh, as a professional award-winning photographer, I know the lighting, the cameras, the equipment and all that. So that was not an issue for me. But I still enjoy this convenience of interviewing over Zoom. Um, 
it's just so much more efficient. I mean, how much is Zoom virtual interview? How much is face-to-face in-person interview for your podcast? Uh, Zoom, I try to do it as, as little as possible, to be honest. If I could do everything in person, that's what I go for. And the reason for it is I try to really connect with my guests in that I want to have a really long-term relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And I find that through Zoom, it's good if I already know the person. But one, the sound quality isn't as good as in person. But two, I really want to sit down with the person, have that face-to-face meeting, maybe grab a meal after, before, you know, have some coffee or some share, share some stories and have that more set just this is the focus it's not a meeting of the day but this is what you're doing this afternoon kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, because I mean my goal for the podcast is to create this community these resources that are here in Silicon Valley that anyone in the world can tap into and some of the people I've interviewed in the past yes after the interview I haven't been able to contact them or I wouldn't I mean they I, I got the interview because I knew maybe the marketer that worked at the company or was a warm intro to someone there that then introduced the other. But other than those few people, most of the people I've interviewed in the past would respond to an email, would respond to a phone call because I did put in that extra time to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I'm really going for for these interviews is to create a long-term relationship with all my past guests and build this community that can really help people, entrepreneurs moving forward. Very good idea. So do you have sponsors? Yes and no. (laughs) So I have kind of venue sponsors in the fact that there's many locations that have opened up their doors to me that I can use for any type of recording, um, such as Han High in Burlingame. I'm able to use their facilities. There's Luxie Beauty in Los Gatos. So there's offices that I can use. And then I have the partnership with Sapien Impact Hub in Menlo Park. They're an impact investment uh, nonprofit organization that I do once a month live recordings at their facility. And I have a great partnership with them where they host events, you know, cater, all these other great things promote for um, other sponsors. There's been plenty of talks where, you know, this group has sponsored and, and you know, promoted, uh, put a little bit of marketing budget behind uh, the episode I did for them or um, planning on in 2022. There's actually quite a few conversations I'm currently having. But to be honest, more than anything, it's just really having that vision that this can help a lot of people and see where that goes. And also it does connect with the investment banking and any introductions to the investment banking that, that kind of pays for, you know, the sponsorships, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it is, it is a, it's a very efficient process right now with a lot of people helping out that the expenses aren't that great other than time. Right. Yeah. So, and you don't plan to have ads running to interrupt your interviews. Uh, I, I've been asked for uh, in, in, in episode placement ads. I've been asked by different companies in, in the Bay in Silicon Valley, if I would be interested, mm-hmm. 
at currently I'm not in the future that could change. I'm always open to have conversations, but for me right now, whenever I'm having one of these interviews, I want to keep them going as smoothly as possible. I don't want to break that intimacy. Mm-hmm. I could do it in post that that's definitely a possibility, but right now it hasn't been really a priority to go out and look for right now. The priority is more creating that high quality content. And and like mentioned before, I'm just now really learning about lighting, really learning about camera angles and all those other things. And that's, that's really where my focus right now for immediate improvement, immediate goals for the show are. I see. Okay. So what's the relationship between your investment banking career and your podcast series? Oh, good question. So the investment banking, that's what I do during the day, or actually I want to say day, nights, and weekends, because it is a very time-consuming profession. So I focus on mid-market companies, so companies with revenue above 10 million, between 10 million, 250 million. I'm on the Silicon Valley team at the bank I'm at. So we get a lot of tech deals, but you know, we're sector agnostic. So mergers, acquisition, growth capital, and the podcast itself everyone has to always be marketing themselves. At least, I mean, you you have a marketing company, you know, the importance of building a brand, the importance of getting your face out there, get in front of your customers, always letting people know what you're doing. So you're top of mind. Mm -hmm. And the podcast actually, for me, is a great way of doing that. It gives me the opportunity to post on social media. Hey, here are the people I'm talking to. Hey, this is, this is me. I'm speaking at this conference. I'm speaking here. I'm interviewing this person so that I'm always be, I always have some type of content where I can push out on all the different social media channels just to keep me on, on the top of people's minds. Just go, oh yeah, Sean's doing this. Hey, if I do need an investment banker, there's Sean. Yes, a lot of people do think, oh, he has a podcast and they really don't know that I, I'm an investment banker, but I would say more and more know that I'm an investment banker with a podcast. And the guest I have, most of these successful people, they do something that I can help them with, whether they have a portfolio company that's looking to get acquired, they have a, you know, shares in a private company they're looking to sell in secondaries, they themselves have another project, a company they're working on. Most of these people have something that, inv- that either now or a year from now or two years from now will involve an investment banker. And the podcast gives me a great way to build rapport and a connection with these people. So an example is one person I just interviewed, Koki. He had no idea I was an investment banker. He take he had taken a company public in Japan. Uh, he's now doing amazing things. He's got a blockchain startup. Very interesting. But we met, we had coffee, we talked. And then later he asked me about, you know, if I do anything outside the podcast. And I said, actually, I'm an investment banker. He's like, oh my gosh. That's amazing. And we had a conversation about it where if it was the opposite and I said, I'm an investment banker, he probably would have had this barrier brought up and go, oh, I don't really, what's this investment banker? What's he going to try to sell me? What's his angle and that? But I said, I got to know him on a personal level through the podcast and we were able to build this rapport, this connection. And I'm an investment banker. So in the future, if I can help him in any way, most likely he'll, he'll turn to me if it's, if it's a good fit. Yes, that's definitely a long-term 
an intimate way of building network, you're building your circle of influence. So what are the biggest challenges in continuing your podcast episode after episode? I mean, the biggest challenge is the time commitment, just because as investment banking gets very busy, sometimes these engagements, you're really heads down. It's a full time, you know, from this email to that email to get this, the data room, all everything lined up. It's very time consuming, but yet you still have a schedule. I do a weekly podcast where I release one every Wednesday and it's being able to keep on track. So actually, actually, sorry, there's two things that are very difficult, the time and the, the guest. Mm -hmm. And, and what I mean by guest is everyone, as soon as they hear you have a podcast, they want to be a guest on your show. But if you have a podcast, most podcasts that are ranked that are high, they have a niche where they focus on. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't fit that niche, but so-and-so out of nowhere had a call with them and then they make a warm intro and you're like, I'm sorry, you're, you're not the right person for the podcast. Or there's a lot of PR and marketing companies that just reach out to people for a client that you know, you could tell you're just on an email list for them. So scheduling that, the emails, the additional work that people don't know about, that's the most challenging part of the podcast. The actual interview itself is really easy, but it's everything that comes before and comes after. That's the challenging part. That's the part where it's, it's the grind. Do you get emails from strangers wanting to get on your podcast all the time? I do. Yes. I, I don't know what to do with that. I get a lot of emails. I get a lot of LinkedIn messages saying, hey, I'm perfect for your podcast. This is what my focus is. And I'll look at their focus and I'll be like, that has nothing to do with my podcast. You, it, it was clear that you, know, you just saw a podcast on my LinkedIn or something or somehow it was scraped and then you're reaching out to me. Like some of these, some of the people that reach out to me, it's, it's clear they have no idea what my podcast is. They've never heard it. It's just a spam message. And that's happening more and more on LinkedIn for me mm-hmm. and email. Email is quite a bit. Email, a lot of it is there's a lot of PR companies that have a podcast focus where they, I guess they try it. They promise their client they'll be on 10 podcasts, which in like a two month span or something like that, or we guarantee you this many podcast appearances in this short of a period. And they're kind of, some of them are nice. Some of them actually have provided guests in the past. I just actually interviewed one that came through a PR company, but then there's others where, you know, it's not a fit. The person's not a fit. You say the person's not a fit. And then they, they send you multiple emails trying to almost bully you to to take their, take their their client um and it does a disservice to everyone because if you if your audience isn't the fit for them what benefit are they really going to get out of you i mean they want to promote themselves and they should be promoting themselves to a niche that to a podcast that has the niche has the audience that would really help them out so you know you just have these people in the middle that are just going hey i'm going to check the checkbox but they're not really doing anything good for their clients. Right. 
And just vetting them takes time. I mean, I get those kind of emails all the time. Don't know exactly who they are, what they do, whether it's a good fit. And some of them invite me to their podcast. And then I had to vet their podcast, what um, their focus are, what are their audience. Do you go through the same thing? Do you get invited to some strange, very unheard of podcast? And what do you Yes. So my secret there is... I always say, well, I'll look and see how many episodes they've had. And almost always it's I'm about to launch or I haven't launched. You know, you want to be episode one or something like that. And I'll always put a number where I'll say, I'd love to be on your show. Let me be episode 50 or something like that, where it's down the line or, you know, oh, the next three months are busy. I see you're on episode eight. When you when you get to episode 25, I'd love to be that guest. Just because, well, one, and actually it has not happened yet where they've reached out to me, but I think it's a polite way of saying, you know, time's valuable. I'd like to help you out. I know that if I'm on your show, I'll be bringing my audience because I'll be sharing the links and that. But right now I need to make sure that, you know, you put a little bit more time and that you have some traction because how many people start a podcast and after they film or record the first five episodes, they give up. Or how many people record 10 episodes and never actually have any of them go live? They just record them or, or better yet record 10, 20 episodes and never edit any of them. You listen to the quality they, they push out and you're like, Oh, that, that kind of hurts me more than more than more than anything. So I always just tell people, if, it, if they haven't done a podcast, yeah, I'd like to be your episode 10. If they already have an existing podcast, yeah, you know, three months from now, 20 episodes or whatever, please, you know, I'm interested. And um, actually, actually, there has been one person, Adam, with the, I think it was the military podcast. He did, I think I said the same thing, 10 episodes from now, he reached out to me 10 episodes later, I was on his podcast, and it turned out to be a great interview. And I'm still talking to him today. So yeah, I'd say only once so far has has that happened. After but, how many? Oh, it's normally yeah. I'll normally say ten episodes from now. Okay. You know? So you you have hosted one hundred and ten podcasts so far. Mm. How many you have been on as guests? Uh, probably twenty five thirty okay. total. I did a lot at the very beginning, and then I cut back. Uh, and the reason that multiple reasons why, um, one was just mentioned before, so many people say they're going to do a podcast and then it never goes live. I was on a few podcasts where the person, you know, then released the episode six months later after the recording and it wasn't really relevant anymore. In fact, I was even, I even co-hosted a podcast for a little while where, episodes are being released now that were recorded two years ago and it's when you listen to them you're like these aren't timely what's going on here it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. and then the other reason is i some people i i've noticed that they try to 
get a lot out of being a guest on their show. Like, hey, be a guest on my show and then introduce me to Melody Perkins or your past guests and all these other people. And I'm like, that's not the trade. The trade is if if you want to help, if you want me on your show, I'll definitely do it. I'll share on my network. I'll help promote it and, you know, my time. But if you want to have all these contingencies as part of it, I'm not really too interested mm-hmm. in doing it. And I've, I've had people that were literally like, Hey, Sean, I'd like you to be on my show. But before that, can you introduce me to these past guests you've had? And I'm like, no, that's no. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Now, uh, do you ever pay or ask to pay to be a guest to be interviewed on any podcast? Um, to, To this day, I haven't paid to be a guest on a podcast. Um, I don't have a product to sell or that niche market. I definitely see it as a very valuable thing in the, in the sense that, well, the, there's podcasts out there that have the reach and the niche that if I had the product for their, their market, I would pay, I would just look at it as a marketing expense. And I, I really do think being a guest on podcasts is a very valuable promo promotional um, way to use money because you can repurpose that content in so many different ways. I mean, you're a guest on a podcast, you have these audio clips, you have the transcriptions, you can cut and paste here and there. So, I mean, I've seen people that, that have that marketing budget to be guest on podcasts that spend it and love the return. Uh, for my show, I've had people that have offered to pay me to be a guest on it. Uh, I've turned them down just because normally the people that I've noticed that reached out, they're just not a fit for the show. I really have that niche and I don't really want to promote the Chinese blockchain company that's looking to build a presence here off a fake coin that I have no idea is legit or not. And then have my brand associated to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's not saying that in the future, things aren't going to change. It, 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 there's a lot of a lot of time, a lot of effort that goes into these podcasts. Right. So, I mean, you deserve to get a return on your effort and your work. And if you build that brand, it has value and you deserve to get paid for that. So I definitely see the reasons why people would pay to be a guest. I also see the reasons why, why podcasts would charge. And I respect both. And I believe that you know, they both do a service and should do it, to be honest. It, it's, it's, you get a lot of exposure and it's a lot of time building a brand. Right. Yes. Paid or not paid, it's very important to be choosy, to be uh, associating your brand with the right guest, with the right host. Uh, because after all, uh, as a branding expert, your reputation association with what kind of brands out there are truly important. Okay. Mm. So you're doing it right way. I would do the same thing. Mm. Uh, So from hosting all the 111 podcast episodes, which ones took the most time and effort to prepare? Uh, I don't know if any one took way more. I mean, they all take a lot of hours. And what I mean by that is when when I have a guest, depending on the reason I have that guest, a lot of the times it's because of a book launch. For example, I just interviewed 
Avram Miller, who's the co-founder of Intel Capital. At the very end, he had $12 billion under management. He wrote a book, uh, and I was part of the, the book launch strategy. I got connected through the Intel Alumni Network to interview him. So before that, there was the call with the Intel Alumni Network to introduce him. Then there was the call with him to plan out the question set. Then I read his book, and then I watched two or three past episodes or interviews he'd done, created the question set, then had him approve the question set, then messaged and worked with his PR company to release that episode. So all that was for one recording, and I've done that now. Uh, one episode coming up, I'm going to be interviewing Patrick Gates, Gates who started an investment company that ended up with $42 billion assets under management. I just read his book over this last weekend in preparation for the question set to send him. Uh, Steve Hoffman, I've had him on my show. He's now, what, on book three? Uh, Bill Rackner. Yeah, I had him on my show too when he uh, was promoting his uh, Surviving a Startup, the book Mm. called Surviving a Startup. Yeah, it was. I read his book. I did the same homework and came up with lots of questions. And it was a great interview. It was lots of uh, value and uh, nuggets that he shared. And I really think in podcasts, and you know this too, you could tell when the host is prepared for the interview. Yes. First, just winging it. And there's a huge difference in the quality of the questions, the quality of how the interview flows, just everything about it. And, and I think in the future, you know, people are expecting better quality as time goes on. Mm-hmm. Guests are expecting the host to be more prepared as time goes on Absolutely. and vice versa. The host prep- wants the guests to take it more seriously as time goes on. Right. And, um, so yeah, these interviews from the past, a lot of them have been time consuming, but my bookshelf is getting pretty full. So that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I do learn a lot in preparing for interviews and asking great questions. And when I ask great questions, they are very excited and they come back again, like Tim Draper, uh, because everyone's time is valuable. I respect my audience time. So I by giving them quality insights and expert opinions. I respect my interviewees, my uh, guests' time by asking them the questions that uh, they are truly expert at that you don't get from anywhere else. Totally agree with you. You know, we the, the better quality of the content depends on the better preparedness and you can always prepare better. There is no end to that. Okay, so tell us three stories about how you secured interviews with the Silicon Valley big names. A lot of them, to be honest, they're 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 pretty hilarious stories where you're you're just talking to someone. Next thing you know, do you want to meet so and so? Okay, uh, Patrick Gates, the the person I'm going to be interviewing soon, he came. He was introduced to me through a person that attended one of the live recordings I I do at Sapiens, who's a magician that I was talking to after he did a magic trick. And I thought that was the coolest trick ever. And he said, Hey, I think I might know someone perfect for your podcast. 
It's like, okay, warm intro there. The interview with Jim McKelvey, a person I know, uh, Christina, who's a huge supporter of the show. She's a journalist out of Sacramento. She said, hey, I'm, I'm an interview for his new book launch. I'm doing a, an interview with him. Are you interested in also doing an interview with him? Sure. I mean, you can't say no to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the first people I interviewed. Well, here, here's, here's a funny story for you. Um, Patrick Lee, founder of Ron Tomatoes. His interview came about Alan Tien, who was I also interviewed. I was on a panel with him in Guiyang for the Big Data Conference. I think it was 2018. We got along really well. And I reached out to him when I started the podcast and I said, hey, Alan, you know, you've been in the Silicon Valley for a long time. You have this amazing network. Is there anyone that you know that you think would be a good guest? I'm just starting off. Uh, anyone you could think of. He's like, hey, you like, you know, Ron Tomatoes? You want to interview Patrick Lee? Give me a second. I was like, what? And within five minutes, I had an email sent out from him and a response of just, sure, Alan, if he's a friend of yours. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and actually a lot of my first interviews, I'd say five of those were from Alan's introductions where his people were just responded. Hey, Alan, if he's your friend, Hey, Alan, if you know him well, Hey, Alan, sure. Just because they knew Alan. And I think a lot of people in Silicon Valley, outside of Silicon Valley would be shocked by how many times people here in the Valley will meet someone, talk to someone, grab coffee with them just from a warm introduction that someone they, they know did, and they don't even have to be a, a very strong connection. It's just, Oh, this person thinks we should meet. And I like this person. He's okay. All right. I'll meet this person. And people here are very open and almost all my interviews, the first round 30, a lot of those were me reaching out to someone I knew that made an intro. After that, almost all of them have been warm intros just sent in to me going, hey, Sean, I listened to your last podcast and I actually know the CEO of Computer Lab 2000, Axel Schutz. He's in Europe right now. I think he'd be a good guest. All right. Oh, hey, Sean. Um, you know, Bob Hoffman sold his company for $4 billion. He's got a new company. You want to talk to him about his old company, his new nonprofit and everything he's working on? Sure. Why not? It, it's just. You know, once you get that momentum, that trend, mm-hmm. and you have a few people that you can reference to before, of, hey, I interviewed these people in the past, people are just excited. I mean, and, and going back to what we said, when we're prepared, when we've done homework, and we really make that guest feel special, like a star, they, they appreciate that treatment. Even these people that are, you know, billionaires, You'll hear them complain going, God, I I got this interviewed scheduled and it was horrible. This person interviewed me was and and they, you know, they appreciate, you know, you're well prepared for this. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they'll say it. They'll say that maybe the microphone's off. It'd be better if the microphone was on. You had that testimonial. But I've, I've had a lot of people comment after going. You know, Sean, this is the best interview I've had in a long time. Thank you for really preparing. Yes. Okay. So what have you learned from your own podcast guests? Any specific stories? I would say I've learned as if I got 10 MBAs, 
I don't know. The, the experiences I've had have been absolutely amazing. I've taken away a lot of key things from the people I've interviewed. Some of them are, I've noticed the most successful people I've interviewed, literally the top, the, the, you know, the billionaires that they say my name a lot and say, Sean, that's a good question. Sean, this, Sean, that they, they build rapport so quickly where even though they're at a level or I'm thinking, God, they have thousands, thousands of employees or billionaires. I want to help this person out as much as I can because this person's so nice. And it's, it's hard to think that, but the top people I've interviewed, they're amazing at building rapport. Mm -hmm. Another thing is they are amazing speakers with that. They're not going ums, likes they're not, they're able to build a story right then and there even with, if the question I'm making up on the spot, it's a complete tangent. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. They pause, go, that's interesting, or let me think about it. And then they come back with an answer that's just as if they thought it out for days. So very good at speaking, very good at giving answers, uh-huh. very good at building rapport, very good at giving praise to everyone else and accepting blame. And I've noticed that so many times where, where we're talking about the good parts of the company, they'll say, we did this or you know, the team did that. But then when there was a struggle, it was I. Uh-huh. And that when I first started noticing that, I thought that was very interesting how all the failures, they took responsibility for all the successes they gave their everyone around them. And this is probably also why they're able to build rapport. They're able to. Oh, and actually another thing I really noticed is how calm everyone has been on my show. And what I mean by that is Jim McKelvey, co-founder of Square. We could not get the recording to work on my side. The microphone was not working. I was panicking. I was freaking out. And I was like, Jim, you know, I type in in the chat. I'm so sorry. You know, blah, blah. He's just responding. You know, Sean, it's not a big deal. I blocked off this time, you know, just reset your computer and we'll just go from there. Great. Reset my computer. The interview started, I think it was like seven minutes late. We just went forward as if nothing had happened. I interviewed um, Brian Smith, who is the co-founder of um, uh, Red Crow. His partner is a famous musician from the eighties. If you've ever heard that song, you know, we, walk 5,000 miles and I would walk 5,000 more just to be the man. I can't sing it, but that song. (laughs) Okay. You did very well. Okay. Thank you. I mean, he was a producer for live. He was producer. Basically we went to his house and there's pictures of him with, you know, the band, U two, the band, all these famous bands all around the room. We're in his studio doing the recording or one of his, he, he's got a, a bigger studio downstairs. We were in the family room with a lot of the equipment. So we went to his house in Sausalito to do the recording. And once again, I was having trouble with the microphones. I was all panicking. They were just calm. Just, no, we've blocked off this time. No rush. We'll, we'll make it happen. We'll make it work. And I've been at companies before. Where the littlest things, people just start panicking, like, oh my God, you know, ah, we're not going to make it. We're going to miss deadlines. We're going to, 
but I mean, maybe it's because these other people that I'm talking to, these little things are so tiny to them. It means nothing because they're used to these huge billion dollar problems, but it's just really interesting to see how if things aren't in place, they, you know, they're able to say, this isn't a big deal. Push it here. Let's focus on this. Let's move forward and let's go. So, and they're always learning. I guess that's the last thing. They've asked me so many questions. Hey, why, why this mixer? How do you play with these knobs? How do you do? What's the process? What? They're always curious. Mm-hmm. If they don't know it, they, they just ask and they don't feel any shamed about how simple the question could be. They just ask. Right. And um, that's one thing I, I really learned too. So there what was that five lessons I've learned. I'm sure there's a thousand more, but those are the top ones. Okay. So have you ever disagreed with your podcast guest on air? On air? I don't think so in the sense that they're just telling me their point of view. And I mean, I asked them the question, so I can't really disagree with their response and the fact that it's their point of view is how they see the world their knowledge, their background is different from mine. And that's actually why I'm interviewing them. If I wasn't, if I didn't want a second point of view, I would just do a solo podcast with myself and the mic. And it's their insights, their wisdom that I really want. Now, will I ask them to dive deeper on things? Yes. There's several times where I'll go, you know, that was great, but the question was this, can we go back to that? And let's, let's go back into it. Because maybe the guest went off on a story, on a tangent, something like that, where it was like, this is a question. Let's let's really dive deeper here. So I've done that several times where, hey, let's go back to this. Let's go back to that. But I really try to study the body language of the person I'm interviewing. And that's another reason I really prefer to do things in person mm-hmm. is I'll notice maybe finger movements on the desk or something, maybe something clinches or, or a look away or something. I'll go, Okay, there's something about that question that didn't sit right. Let me let me move on. Let me avoid. Let me not push it. Like there's one question I remember. And I'm not going to say the name. I edited it out with uh, one of my guests. I mean, his net worth was I think 300 million. The company he founded uh, was a five billion dollar company. I asked a question that wasn't in the question set, which is normally fine. It was it was a segue from a previous question, <clears throat> but I, was, I dug in kind of to the office atmosphere when the decision was made and I just saw his hand clinch up a little bit and he paused and he's like, let's just go on from there to, you know, I was like, okay, okay. I'm not going to push that. I know there's something there, some memory, something that happened that you don't want to go in that direction, that path. So that's fine. I, I respect that. You know, let's just continue the interview. So I really try to study their lang- body language to see if I can dig deeper. And if I can, I go for it. Mm-hmm. But if not, I know, hey, you know, yes, be- better let it go. I appreciate your sensitivity to your guests. Now, do you prefer edited or live? Have you ever done a live version? And do you plan to? I've never, I've recorded once a month, I do a live podcast event where the audience at the end of the normally about 45 minute interview will have 10 minutes or so for Q&A and I really enjoy it I really like it 
But those episodes, I still edit before I push them out on, on social media channels because sometimes there'll be someone answering a phone in the audience or walking around or some type of distractions. And well, I mean, I am thinking about next year trying to do a few live streams in the same fashion, but I'd have to make sure in advance that the bandwidth is strong enough because I, I would hate latency or, or that. So I've have I've done live events, but I've always edited in post before letting the public hear the content. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, did your interviews have impacted your personal and professional growth? In what ways? They've interviewed quite a bit. I am a lot more conscious now for the way I speak to people, mm-hmm. especially in interviews, filler words, pausing more. I am definitely more conscious of people's body language. I'm more focused on researching and asking questions. I've noticed more than anything, successful people ask amazing questions, as I mentioned before. So I, I've tried to ask better and better questions in my you know, just day-to-day life. It's also really opened up so many doors for me for the investment banking that, like I said, if you talk to someone as an investment banker, they, they kind of look at you, okay, is this person, you know, what's their angle? Uh, you know, can they help me? How can I help them? like that? But if you're the podcast guy, you're just having a conversation. That's all you're doing. You're just talking. You're getting to know the person. And I like it. I mean, there's always a reason to talk to Sean now, you know, right? It doesn't have to be for bank. It could be about the podcast. It could be about his past guests. There's just a reason to have a conversation mm-hmm. and having so many doors open leads to so many people being able to walk through those doors. Okay. So what makes you do investment banking? So investment banking for me is kind of the ultimate challenge. In the sense that just like podcasts, I really have to learn about everyone in front of me. So I have to really learn about the company that I'm working with. I have to know the industry. I have to know the team. I have to know everyone there. I have to help build out the data room where you really have every component about a company. So I'm learning, constant learning. Every deal is different. It's exciting. It's rewarding in the sense that these are major transactions in people's lives. They're literally life-changing transactions, life-changing events that you're taking part of. So it's being a part of it. It's challenging. You really have to think about every component of the company, every component about how am I packaging, marketing this, creating the story around this company that the investor, the acquirer, the people on their side are interested. You have to have great people skills because you have to get everyone talking and communicating and understand why this is important to this person, why this is important to that person, balancing everything out. You're working with you know, lawyers, accountants, everyone you can think of for business. So you have to know and continually learn about every component. So it's it's the ultimate it's the ultimate mind challenge people challenge and 
it's different. So it's always evolving. So it's fun. If that makes sense. Yes, of, of course. You got to enjoy every aspect of your career. So what specific types of companies and individuals need your investment banking advice and expertise? What are your sweet spots? Mm, good question. So we'll start with the last part. Sweet spots are companies in the mid-market. So if they have revenue over, say, $10 million, revenue below $250 million, or EBITDA above you know, two, three million, we're great to work with. So we focus on that little niche. And I have a little story that I use for people when I explain what I do. So think about you're an individual, you meet that person that you want to get, you know, share the rest of your life with, you get married, that's a merger. Maybe after that merger, you see a puppy on the street, and you want to bring that puppy into your family, that's an acquisition. Maybe that puppy eats a lot of food and you need money for that food. That could be growth capital. Dog get bigger and bigger. Then the dog has its own puppies. You sell off the puppy. You, know, you sell off a division. There's a lot of stages in someone's life. We work with all those stages in a company. This so, is the best description I've ever heard about investment banking. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You made it so simple and easy. I appreciate that. Okay. Mm. So specific type of companies, um, I mean, the industries. Industry, we're sector agnostic. We have 15 bankers, six offices. So we put the team together for the deal. So if it's an ag tech deal, these people will be on it. If it's a manufacturing deal, a different group will be on it. If it's an international deal with, I don't know, we'll say um, a logistics company, it'd be a different team. So we put the team together for the deal. So it's best just to say we're generalists, sector agnostic. For us, it's the deal size. So it's really those companies, like I mentioned, between 10 and 250 million that revenue. Those are the companies that we work with best. Most of those most of those deals for the resources we have, we're a very good fit. We have a network of global investors. We've done deals all over the world. I'm on the Silicon Valley team here. Um, so, I mean, that's where what we have, we can benefit the clients the most. If they're smaller than that, business brokers, mergers, acquisition advisors, fantastic. If they're bigger than that, there's a lot of other investment banks that have different resources that are better suit for them. Mm -hmm. So we're that spot right there. Okay. So juggling investment banking career with this quote unquote full-time job of podcast uh, host, uh, I want to wrap up. So what part of podcasting you hate? What part of it you love? Well, the Hayden part might be the editing and that because I still check everything in post to make sure that it's good. But that also gives me an opportunity to re-listen to the episode, improve myself, kind of relearn the information that the host or not, sorry, the guest had said and learn and grow. I would say, I mean, the time is the most challenging part with it. Mm -hmm. That That's painful, but it's also a good thing. The thing I like, though, is just sitting down and having conversations. That is, I just love that. I just love sitting down with someone who has a different perspective, 
who has a different knowledge base, who has had different experiences in the world, and them just opening up for that hour and just telling me how they got to where they, they are, what they're doing, what advice they have, some stories along the way. Mm-hmm. That's just great. Yeah. So last question. What do you foresee you would be 10 years from now down your career path and your personal life, if you want to share? Uh, personal life, probably a couple of kids. Uh, they'll probably hope 10 years from now, maybe they go, dad's still cool. Or maybe they're starting to get to that phase where dad's lame. I'm not sure. Either, either or, I mean, that's, that's going to happen there. And then for career-wise, there's a lot I want to do with the investment banking. I've had thoughts of going out and raising a, a VC fund. There's a lot of things that I have a vision of, that I have a vision of doing that I'm going to be pursuing over the coming years. All of it has to do, though, with goals of getting out of any comfort place and just moving forward. And by that is if I'm here this year, next year, I want to get to here. And if I'm there, then the year after that, I want to get to there, both with, you know, money, resources, responsibilities. I just always want the goals to be, or the goalposts to keep moving, keep growing as a person, keep challenging myself. And, um, that's so much more of a fulfilling life, to be honest. I don't know. I've got to live abroad for a long time. I've got to travel the world. I've got to see a lot. And it's more exciting, the more challenging it is. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Sean. I really appreciate your stories that you generously uh, shared and uh, about your plan for the future and uh, about the rewards and the hard work you put into the podcast and uh, I wish you the best and both career-wise, personal, and with your podcast. Oh. And please follow hashtag 10 plus interviews, 10 plus podcast, 10 plus brand, or interviews of notables and influencers. This will be posted on my website, 10plusbrand.com under both 10 plus interviews and podcast. Thank you, Sean, again. See you very soon and happy holidays uh thank you thank you i'm so happy to be a guest looking forward to 2022 and thank you thank you for having me on your show